So today we're going to be talking all about siding, installation methods, and some of the options that you have out there. This is Chris Novelli from N3 Architecture and welcome to the Home Design Amic podcast where we help people understand design and construction so that they can make better decisions on their projects and communicate more effectively with their architects and contractors. Okay, so now on to siding. Many people consider siding to be the wall's first line of defense against the elements, but advances in building science sciences and how vented rain screen systems are becoming more common in residential construction show that the weather resistant barrier is the true boundary between what is exposed to the elements and what is kept dry. Yes, of course, siding material sheds bulk water. It sheds rainwater, it protects against snow, it protects against hail, all those things. But if you think about your wall assembly just a little bit differently, and bear with me on this. You can understand that the role of the siding in an advanced assembly is not really to keep out the water. And in some applications, an open joint siding over a vented rain screen can actually have a much longer lifespan. Now, I know this might be a little tough to wrap your head around, especially if you're a homeowner that doesn't know all that much about construction or if you're a builder or a contractor who has done things the same way for your entire career. But let's shift your focus. Let's shift your understanding to realize that the primary role of siding is not to keep out water. If you can understand this, then it opens up the possibilities of constructing a house or a building that will last much longer and will also give you some different options on your siding. So if you're interested in these sort of topics, I would suggest you go listen to the Unbuild It podcast where they break down building sciences, or if you prefer YouTube, you can also look at Matt Reisinger's YouTube channel. There's lots of great resources out there, and there's a lot of people doing a lot of interesting things. So have you ever heard someone say that they build walls too tight these days? And that a building needs to breathe. And if it doesn't breathe, it's going to rot. Well, this is somewhat of a true statement if your builder doesn't know what they're doing. Or if the construction is so poor that water is getting inside your house. Because then if water is getting inside your walls, then the yes, they need to dry out. Or if you live in any sort of typical suburban USA house that was built anytime in the last 40 years. Because... The quality just usually isn't there. The only way that your framing will rot out if your building is too tight is that if you have poor water management, a misunderstanding of how water vapor behaves, if you use cheap materials with incorrect assembly methods, such as most Tyvek installations, if you have improper flashing or not a continuous weather-resistant barrier, and you're not providing a vented airspace for your exterior most material, your siding material, to dry on all sides. That's when you have to worry about rot and building too tight. But if you build correctly, and you have a tight assembly, and then you have the exterior materials with a continuous weather-resistant barrier and able to breathe on all sides, then that's a nice assembly that's going to last many years. 
And if you attach your siding directly to the sheathing or the Tyvek without an airspace behind it, you're going to capture and trap water and moisture, which will eventually find its way into your house. Or in the case of a wood siding product, will rot the siding from behind. The real problem, as with most cases in residential construction, are the group of contractors who don't really care. Sure, they may take some pride in their work and want to do a good job, but at the end of the day, once they collect their money, they won't ever think about you or your house or the consequences of what they built ever again. And this is a shame because these contractors who don't really care give all the other contractors a bad name. And those who do care, the contractors that do care and do want to do the right things, have to constantly fight to prove themselves that they're not going to rip you off, that they're not going to just give you a crappy assembly and then walk away. Then you have the next group of contractors who really actually care what they do and they actually do a good job and these contractors value their reputation more and while they want to make a good profit, sure, everyone wants to make a good profit, but while these people want to make a good profit, they do want the best for your family. And they're not out there just slapping up finishes to flip a house. The problem with this group of contractors is they've done things a certain way for decades. They've done things a certain way for almost their entire career. And getting them to accept change is sometimes hard. Especially when they've seen results from building their way. The problem is these results might be measured in years rather than decades. And might be compared to cheap houses built in the 1980s. So the next group of people that cause problems are the homeowners themselves. Sorry, homeowners, I'm talking to you here. There are far more homeowners that want to save a buck rather than building correctly. And I think this group is even the most dangerous. And I say this because they're undereducated in construction and building sciences. Their entire knowledge base is what they've seen on HDTV or what they've done on DIY projects or what Joe down the street did on his house or what their grandfather did when when his house was constructed or what their uncle told them is the best way to do it. So this subset of homeowners makes it near impossible for the architects of the world and the good contractors of the world to design and build better houses. Because why pay a premium price? Why pay extra money for a a proper assembly when Joe's Construction Company can build my house for 25% less? And that sort of thinking is where the real danger comes in. And when you have a rotted out wall assembly or you have improper uh, insulation or you have a building that's just not performing and you're paying two or three times as much for your energy bills every year, well, then you have just yourself to blame. So the focus needs to shift away from getting the lowest possible price and instead needs to be put on getting the highest quality possible with the resources that are available. Yes, I know, not everybody has a million dollar budget. Yes, I know, people have fixed incomes, fixed budget, and they need a certain amount of space for their family, and they only have so much money to spend. But what I'm talking about is not spending money frivolously. I'm talking about spending money smartly, 
so that your money and your resources are going to be put into what makes your house perform better, what saves you money in your bills, and what will last the longest. So when dealing with costs, homeowners, I think, should be working with a licensed architect and a good quality builder who understands the value of construction methods from the start of the project. Only then can you understand how large of a house you can afford based upon your budget and what type of exterior envelope you can afford. If you wait too long, if you get too far down the line in your design to bring in a contractor to give you some budget pricing, or if you wait too long to build in, to bring in an architect or design professional to help guide you, then you're going to make decisions that might be hard to reverse because you're going to get your mind set on this you know, beautiful five-bedroom, six-bathroom house with eight garage uh, stalls and and a guest suite and all this other stuff, and you're going to be focusing on on that sort of stuff and not really about the building assembly. So I've talked about different aspects of the the exterior envelope of a house in other episodes. If you haven't listened to them, go back and listen to them today. But today we're going to be focusing on siding. And the two main takeaways I want you to have are, one, the weather resistance barrier is actually behind the siding. And that barrier alone should be enough to keep out all the water and moisture for the life of your house. And two, siding should never be installed up against the wall. It should always be held off and vented behind, no matter what type of siding you have. I guess maybe with vinyl siding you can sort of get away with this, but I still recommend the vented rain screen. So if you're using fiber cement, if you're using wood clapboards, if you're using cedar shingles or any other type of siding, the ability for the siding to dry on all sides and the ability for any water or moisture that gets behind the siding to drain out will prolong the life of the siding so much that you're even though you're spending a little bit more money now, you're going to be saving money over the lifespan of the house and you're going to be having less maintenance and you're going to be avoiding situation where your wood could be rotting from the inside. Alright, so let's talk about the different types of siding options that are out there. First off is vinyl siding, which here in the United States is probably the number one choice for most people out there just because I think they don't know better. They want the cheap material that will be installed at the quickest price. So vinyl siding uh, costs about $2 a square foot. You could get it for less if you use a lower grade or a little bit more if you have added trim and details. It's a very popular, safe option, especially for people who don't know better. Vinyl siding is very cheap looking. It's designed to mimic wood siding, but it fails to actually look like wood, which actually makes it even worse. Uh, The good thing about it is it's low maintenance. You never have to paint it. And the color goes all the way through, so even if it gets scratched, then you're not going to necessarily see that scratch. It's very easy to install. 
Um, but then again, if it's installed incorrectly, if it's installed too tightly and not allowed to expand and contract, it can crack or lead to water leaks. S- vinyl siding will not rot. There's many colors available. Some of the downsides are it can crack under impact. It can warp under heat. It's actually really bad for the environment because unless recycled, plastic products remain in the environment forever. And for the most part, for my understanding, vinyl siding is not really recycled. Vinyl siding also leads to the power washing culture, which I've talked about before. And homeowners out there that just grab their 3000 PSI power washer and just like spray down their house. Yes, you have to clean your house. I get it. But when you're spraying water at that high pressure, at that close to the siding, water will get behind your siding. And if you're not 100% guaranteed that you have a great weather resistant barrier behind that siding that's going to allow the water to drain and dry out, you are actually doing damage to your house every time you take out that power washer. So go ahead and power wash it up, but don't come crying when, you're, when your wall is rotted out. Vinyl siding offers little or no insulating value, which, you know, you shouldn't be depending on your siding for insulating value anyways. Depending on the quality and the type of color you have and the exposure to the sun, it could start fading. And even in as little as five years. Vinyl siding should not be used on, in any historical applications unless it's around the back or of the house or any you know non-visible uh, portion of the house from the street because if you have you know vinyl siding on a historical house that just you know would be a poor choice. And actually, vinyl siding could actually potentially lower your home's resale value. Vinyl siding could last up to 20 or 30 years, but like I said before, it may may begin to show its age and weather and uh, fade out over time, and you might expect the fading anywhere from 5 to 10 years, depending on the color, depending on how much sun you have. Next, let's talk a little bit about wood clapboard. So a wood clapboard is about 5 to $10 per square foot. It has an overlapping board design uh, where the the top board overlaps the board below it. There's a bevel on the siding, which is thinner at one end, and the thicker end overlaps the thinner end of the board below. Clapboard is, a, is appropriate for most historical applications, depending on the type and style of the historic house. Wood clapboard siding is prone to rot, especially if it's installed incorrectly. Now, if you think most of the applications where you have the wood clapboard, they're installing it directly over the sheathing or directly over a Tyvek barrier. But if you put wood clapboard over a vented rain screen, it will last a a very, very long time. And even the paint job will last a long time. So that gets into maintenance. Now, wood clapboard siding and wood siding has the most amount of maintenance. And painting, you could um, expect to paint your house every few years. But again, if you have the vented rain screen, your paint is going to last longer maybe even decades. Wood clapboard siding has stood the test of time and it is still one of the top choices out there. There's also cedar or redwood options available, but you can also get it in pine, spruce, and fir. And these lower grade products will give you a little bit lower of a cost, but you got to understand that they're not going to last as long. Next, let's talk a little bit about cedar siding. 
Cost again could be anywhere between five and ten dollars a square foot, and it could actually go up from that depending on the the quality of the cedar. An install could be anywhere between eight and fifteen thousand dollars, depending on a typical house, depending on the size and the type of cedar and the finish grade. It can be cut into both lap siding and board and batten, and also shingles and shakes. You can expect cedar to last a minimum of twenty-five years. Although if properly sealed and maintained, cedar could actually last over 100 years. Clear cedar is a higher-end product at a higher cost. Knotty cedar is a more natural and it's great for uh, cabin in the woods and it's also a slightly lower cost. Now the grades of cedar, they come anywhere from grade A through D with A being the best. Cedar can be painted or stained, but that also will take away from the natural weathering. And if you do paint or stain, you're going to have to do so every three to five years. Now, when I talk about natural weathering, that's the grayish or the silver grayish color that the wood will get over time. And many people like this, and that's perfectly fine if you want to leave your cedar uh, siding unsealed or untreated and just allow it to naturally weather. It will also look very beautiful. So all these cedars turn a satin gray, but if you want to leave it untreated, White cedar should be used as this ages better than red cedar. The installation of cedar siding is e- is relatively easy, although most contractors out there are not putting siding over a vented rain screen. Again, the vented rain screen will increase the lifespan of the product. If you're using shakes and you want a vented rain screen, then you're going to have to run the furring strips not just vertically but, but horizontally as well. Cedar is very environmentally friendly and is completely biodegradable. The cedar tree is a very fast-growing tree, second to only bamboo, and is a renewable resource. Cedar can also be used in a variety of architectural styles, from traditional to modern to beachfront to, to rustic cabin and everything in between. And when properly cured... Cedar is shrink resistant, so you don't have to worry about gaps opening up. And while you should not rely on your siding for insulation, cedar does have some insulating properties. And out of all the woods out there, cedar is probably the most resistant to termites and other sorts of insects. Cedar does have its disadvantages though, such as woodpeckers like to peck at and bore into the side of the house. Fire ratings could be an issue depending on where you're installing, but once again, it can be treated with a flame retardant. Once you treat cedar with a flame retardant, you lose the environmentally friendly aspect of that as the material can no longer be disposed in a landfill. Cedar will absorb a lot of water, and if it cannot dry, it will eventually rot. Of course, it's cost prohibitive to some people, and there is some maintenance, such as such as washing away any dirt or mildew which may harm the wood over time and then possibly restaining or repainting if you have it stained or painted. Cedar also has a very bad reaction with iron. So if you use iron nails, then the cedar will rot out around the nails. Another type of siding, wood siding that's very close to cedar is redwood siding. Again, it costs in the 5 to $10 per square foot range. It's another beautiful natural siding material that is popular 
and applicable to a number of different design styles. And redwood siding is right up there with cedar, maybe just a little bit underneath it in terms of cost and, and appearance. But redwood siding can be very, very beautiful. I've seen some very beautiful applications of a flat redwood siding ins installed on modern houses, and it just looks great. Next, we'll talk about fiber cement board or hardy plank. So the cost for this might be between 4 and $6 per square foot. So a fiber cement board is, is made up of a blend of sand and cement and wood fibers that have been mixed and pressed together to create the look of wood siding. It's available in both lap siding and shakes. It's also available in planks that aren't tapered, which can be run vertically as board and batten siding or run horizontally as a fully vented siding with gaps in between the boards. Now, fiber cement could cost two to three times more than vinyl, but you're going to get a longer lasting product, a better looking product, and a better performing product. James Hardy makes probably the most well-known brand of fiber cement siding, the Hardy Plank, which I've mentioned before. Um, but there's also several other brands out there, such as Certainteed is another good one. And then brands like Equitone, which more, are more suitable for a modern style. The last type of siding that I want to talk about today is aluminum siding. Now, aluminum siding could cost anywhere from $1.50 to $2 a square foot. And a newer aluminum siding is so much better than the siding that was installed on the houses in the 60s or 70s. Some of the benefits with aluminum siding is you get no insect or moisture damage. It can be secured tightly, which makes it a great choice for high wind uh, areas. It does dent easily, and you, if you're going to use aluminum siding, you need to use a heavier gauge product to help prevent from the denting. Aluminum provides a poor insulation value, and although... That doesn't really bother me because, once again, you shouldn't be relying on your siding material to provide you with insulation. Aluminum, though, is almost 100% recyclable, and very, very little will end up in a landfill. And it can be painted or ordered in specific colors. Now, there's lots of other exterior materials out there available. You have brick, stone, stucco... EFIS, which is E-I-F-S, standing for Exterior Insulating and Finishing System. You should never use that. That's just an awful product, and it's used on cheap strip malls. Do not use it for your house ever, ever, ever. You have SIPS, which is a structurally insulated panel. You have Mass Timber. Each have their own set of benefits and challenges. One last thing before we sign off, and that's on the color. Does the color of your siding affect the indoor temperatures? So yes, the color of your siding can have an effect on the indoor temperature, even in a well-insulated wall. This is more important for warmer climates or warmer months in normal climates, but the use of a dark material will actually absorb the sunlight and absorb the heat and will actually heat up the inside of your house if it's left in direct exposure. And you might even find that at the end of the day, your house feels warmer than it did during the middle of the day. That's because the, these materials in your house are absorbing all that heat throughout the day. It's absorbing all that sunlight and all that energy. And then once it starts to cool off a little bit at night, that heat and energy is released and it actually will warm up the inside of your house. So 
if you're in direct sunlight, if you're in a warm climate, I recommend using lighter colors that do not absorb the heat. From there, when you're deciding on which siding material is actually best for you, you're going to need to look at your budget. You're going to need to look at the desired style. You're going to need to look at the climate conditions, how much wind you actually get, how much rain, the temperature, the temperature swings. And you're going to need to look at all other conditions, um, such as if you're an area prone to hurricanes or tornadoes, that's going to affect the siding type. And the answer to these questions will help you narrow down your siding options. So that wraps up another episode of the Home Design Academy podcast. I hope you've learned something and enjoyed yourself along the way. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on your podcast player of choice. That would mean so much to me. You can visit n3architecture.com for more information. If you have any questions, please, listeners of this show, send me your questions. I want to know what you're struggling with. Are you a homeowner that's struggling with one type of decision or another or picking a different system or a different material? Please send me your questions. Are you an architect that has some questions or a contractor that has some questions on how to better build an assembly? Submit all your questions to that can be emailed to homedesignacademy at n3architecture.com. Once again, that's homedesignacademy at n3architecture.com. Or if you want to leave a, a voice message uh, question, just go to speakpipe.com slash homedesignacademy, hit the record button, and your question will be emailed directly to me. So until the next episode, goodbye, and I hope you have a great day.